Exodus 6 is where we are this morning. I'm just going to read uh, the first 13 verses. Uh, there's a large genealogy that I'm going to bypass this morning and not read that. Um, when you see a genealogy in the text, every once in a while it has, well, it always has purpose. But in this case, it's to emphasize the lineage of, of uh, Moses and Aaron. And then when you get to the other side of that genealogy, there's a recapitulation of some of the complaints or the concerns that Moses had. And it signals that this is a transition to a new section of the book. So I just share that with you as we come up to this point. That's why I've taken a break right now. We're completing a major thought about God's knowledge. God is omniscient. He knows everything. And in this, he knows the heart of Moses and his weaknesses, his struggles. And that didn't matter to God. God was able to make Moses to be an adequate covenant partner. And it didn't matter. God knew exactly what he was getting into when he called Moses to serve him. And so I find in this text some great encouragement to us. Let's look at these verses, verse 1, chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenants. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses, because their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave him a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Lord, as we look into this text, may we see in our own hearts our inadequacies and not become resentful about those inadequacies, but that we'd recognize that you, in your unconditional grace towards us, 
make up all deficiencies super abundantly. And may we put our hope and trust ultimately in you and find you to be everything that we have ever hoped for. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, according to the American Psychological Association, I saw a recent article that the COVID-19 pandemic created a collective trauma among Americans. While it seemed like the early lockdowns maybe like a thing of the past, there is an aftermath that remains still with us. This is a recent study. Uh, they conducted some polling through the Harris Group, and we may think of ourselves as back to normal, but we might be obscuring some of the post-traumatic stress that we've all experienced a number of years ago. Uh, everyone's stress levels, according to the survey, is up 30% above normal, and yet we still say that everything's okay now, but we may be just simply covering things up. Uh, parents in that survey were more likely than adu other adults to report that most days they felt so overwhelmed, so stressed that they felt numb, and most days the stress was so bad that they could hardly function. That's sad, but it's probably reality. I think most adults in the study, according to their interpretation, tended to downplay the stress that they were uh, dealing with, but it's important to note that stress can affect everything, us, everything about us physiologically. Uh, our bodies absorb stress in ways that are unhealthy, and it can affect uh, all of us in ways that we wouldn't even imagine. Now, the term collective trauma is a very new term for me, but I think I, 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 think I understand it. it. It fits very well the situation that we experienced uh, two and a half uh, years ago. And uh, I want to just say that collective stress can really put, yes, a downward weight on people, but it may forget, cause them to forget the resources that they have in God that can help them. In our text and in our reading and our listening to the story, the true account of the Exodus, these people, I would say, are experiencing a collective trauma. They are experiencing incredible stress, uh, being told that they, can't, they have to produce the same amount with less resources. And the... the tyranny of this is putting such pressure on the people. Uh, in verse uh, 13, you read that Moses and Aaron gave the charge to the people, but the, the, the people heard what they heard. Sorry, verse 9, and they did not listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery that they were experiencing. That's incredible. That's incredible pressure. Something has to give. And it's their spirits have given out and they can't take it anymore. Now this also profoundly affected Moses. He is, um, he's badly unsettled. He's, uh, he's seriously discouraged. Uh, he's, he's really falling into despair very quickly. And for, you know, everyone who's ever experienced this kind of pressure 
you can feel like you're on the edge of life and you're going to lose it and you don't know how you're going to handle it anymore, any longer. Now, some of us have experienced this maybe due to our own, our own sinful choices. Maybe we have at times, we've, we've failed within ourselves, we've, we've failed the Lord so many times that we might be tempted to think that the Lord is done with us. But I want you to know that you're not alone, that when you have these experiences and you feel this kind of stress, you are in good company. And God is able to bless you and he is able to keep you and you don't need to be discouraged because God will be everything that you need him to be for you. He is able to make you a suitable covenant partner and cause you to do exactly everything that he has asked you to do. I want to encourage you this morning. But to find the encouragement, you have to understand what some of these metaphors mean. I've got to make it clear to you, and you need to understand what this information means so that it will be an encouragement to you. I can't like just come up here and do a pep talk. It's the Word of God that has to do the work within your heart, but it has to be clear. You have to see why I can make this claim that God is able to make you a suitable covenant partner. And it's really important that you learn to be able to say with Moses what he said. Moses said, I am of uncircumcised lips. Pastor, that's weird. I'm not going to say that. Yeah, I know it's weird. But God's response to Moses won't mean anything to us unless we appreciate the significance of what Moses was saying. That phrase, I am of uncircumcised lips, finds meaning in things that we had read prior in Exodus. It finds meaning in the circumcision of the little baby by his wife Zephora. Zephorah, do you remember, she acted very quickly because he had come down from the mountain. He was a hard-hearted man at that point. And he was nigh to death. His, the Lord had come upon him in such a way, we don't know all the details, but something happened where his life was on the line. And he knew that he needed to act, and I believe he asked his wife to circumcise the son as a way to demonstrate that that he's now going to submit himself to follow the Lord. He had been expected as a follower of Abraham to circumcise his son, but he had neglected to do so. He neglected because he was, he was resisting. He wasn't going to devote himself to the God of his fathers. And in that moment, God had been calling him. He had been filling him and equipping him, yet Moses was stubborn. He was stubborn, and his stubbornness nearly cost him his life. And to be fully devoted to the Lord meant that he had to have no reservations to do everything that God had asked him to do. And so he surrendered. He said, yes, Lord, I will go back. I will leave my family. I will go. I'll meet Aaron, and I will go and tell the people exactly what you want me to do. And to show you I'm going to do this, I'm going to circumcise my son. 
What he was doing was he was surrendering his plans, his ambitions. Moses, to this point, had been saying, I just want to tend my father-in-law's sheep. I want to live peaceful in obscurity. I want to stay out of trouble. And Lord, I'm not going to go back to Egypt. I've got other things to do. It's kind of like he was saying, Lord, I've got other things to do. I don't need to go to church every week. Lord, would you just mind your own business? Moses got himself humbled. And he surrendered. But now Moses is a broken reed. He's broken. And Moses is now telling God, God, you picked a poor partner to carry out this message. You want to rescue Israel, but I am not the one that's going to be able to make it happen. And so what he's saying is, Lord, I, I, I did. I surrendered my will to you, and, but I'm just not an effective minister of the gospel. I preach, and when I preach, people get discouraged. I'm devoted, but I'm just not seeing the results. Another prophet said the same thing when he was in the presence of the holiness of God. Isaiah recognized that he also was an inadequate covenant partner to carry out the, miss the, mess the mission. And Isaiah said in Isaiah 6 verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean people. My, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is the same idea. Uncircumcised lips, unclean lips. There's a recognition that he might have some ability to communicate, but... He's profoundly aware that he is inadequate, he is a sinner, and he cannot possibly serve the Lord in an adequate way. Moses is, I believe, saying something very similar. He's saying, look, I devoted myself to the mission, and I've been faithful to do what you wanted me to do, and it's not going well. He's discouraged. But I believe what I see in this text, when God responds to Moses, he's saying, look, you don't worry about the fact that you're inadequate because I am the Lord. I am the Lord. As you read this text, there's multiple voices going in several directions. The people are speaking, Pharaoh is speaking, Moses is speaking. And you have to ask yourself, well, who's listening? Who's listening to the Lord? You know, you might be in a similar situation where you hear all kinds of voices, you know, in the world. It creates all kinds of stress upon you. And you really need to take time to not just hear the mass of voices. You need to take the time to hear the Lord, just as Moses needs to hear. Need to hear the Lord speak, 
And what does the Lord say? In verse 1, he says, first of all, he says, everything is going just exactly as I planned. This is the way it was going to go. Verse 1, let's read it. It says, but the Lord says to Moses, this is, you know, let me go back one verse. Verse 23, Moses says, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. I think it's remarkable that the Lord does not rebuke Moses here. Instead he says, Now, now you're going to see it. Now you're going to hear. Now you're going to see what I'm going to do. And God's intention had actually always been to to save Israel by His mighty hand. There was never intention to rescue them by Pharaoh just simply being kind and gracious. No. God is the one who's going to do the work. God is going to use His mighty hand even today on Satan, and He's going to destroy him too. Several years ago, I went through a very dark valley, and I've probably shared this a time or two with some of you. And uh, when I was a younger pastor, I had experienced a lot like what Moses was experiencing. And Moses was going through heartbreak. And Moses here is being called to do something very difficult. He's called to go on even though he's got a broken heart. I don't know if you realize it, but preaching is, a, is my, one of my main jobs. It's what I... <laughs> preaching is, is not just mental work, it's also heart work. To be able to preach the Word and to mean what I say and not just to be like, you know, a ventriloquist. It's got to come from the heart. And it's way different than merely surviving, you know, punch in, punch out. It's totally something different to get up every week and have to preach to people, whether you feel like it or not. I joked a little bit before service, uh, I'd been away all weekend, like some of the other guys who were here, and I said to them, you know, I think I'm just going to kind of forget to set my alarm tomorrow. And then they said, no, you can't do that because you're the pastor. Well, you're right, I can't just do that because I'm the pastor. It's hard to imagine at times that when you're preaching and people aren't listening, that this is what God had planned all along. Charles Spurgeon, preacher struggled with periodic depression himself, told a story of his own personal despondency, and when he was one Sunday morning, he was preaching from this text, my Lord, my Lord, why hast thou forsaken me? And he says, testimonially in this story, he said, I was really preaching this text out of my own personal experience. Although he tried not to let on as he's preaching to a multitude, he's trying not to let that come out. And he said, even as I was preaching, I could hear the rattle of my own chains while I preached to my fellow prisoners 
who are in the dark. On a Monday evening after that Sunday, a man came to him, and Spurgeon said he had all the marks of somebody who was in great despair. His hair seemed to stand up straight. His eyeballs were popping out of his sockets. He was on nerve. And the man said to him, I never heard any person speak who seemed to know what I was going through. I've got this terrible case of despair. But you preached like as if you were inside me and knew me. And Spurgeon said, by God's grace, I saved that man from suicide. You know, we don't know what our own experiences will bring. And many might look upon the difficulties that we experience as if perhaps maybe we're not a suitable covenant partner with God. That's not so. God will make you to be a suitable partner. And speaking to pastors, Spurgeon said this. He said, you and I have to suffer much for the sake of the people in our charge. You may be in Egyptian darkness, and you may wonder why such a horror chills your marrow, but you may be altogether in the pursuit of your calling and still be led by the Spirit. See, in the, even the darkest of nights, it is by the sovereign goodness of God that He gives us the strength to go on. It is the granite promises of His sovereignty that leads us through the valley. He rules over all of our circumstances. He means everything for our good. It's for His glory, but He keeps our good in mind, and He loves us so. You might be raising children and going through a valley, and you might feel as though you can't possibly carry this any further. But God has not forgotten you either. He will make you to be a good covenant partner with Him to carry your children forward another step. He is a faithful, faithful God. Plan. What's the plan? Well, it's been His plan all along to harden Pharaoh to make it difficult so that then he would go in and act. Egypt's going to release, release the Israelites and be forced to let them go because it's God's mighty hand that's going to do the work. When we preach the word, it is not me opening up your heart. It is the Spirit of God moving in your soul, and He is the one who will move you with His mighty hand. It is not by might nor power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And you know, God's Spirit will be poured out on Egypt in judgment, but God's Spirit of judgment will also be poured out on a hard-hearted world that rejects and refuses to submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything is going exactly as God has planned. Not many days hence, the trumpet will sound, 
and the dead in Christ will raise, and everything is going as he has planned. Moses is right where God wants him, and God is able to make you and I suitable covenant partners. Now let's look at the second thing that God says. Verses 2 through 8, God not only says, everything's going as just as I planned, verses 2 to 8, he says, just trust that I am the Lord. Notice verse 2. We have a kind of a narrative, a narration transition. So God had already been speaking to Moses in verse 1. Then Moses makes a break here and says, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And you might ask yourself, wait a second, why did we need that little transition note? Couldn't it just kind of move from one verse to the next without that little narrative note? And actually, this is not either a conversation that happened at another time, but this is actually a narrative break that's designed to show us that this is a new kind of style of writing. It's an introduction, actually, to a spontaneous Hebrew poem, and it may even be a song. It's poetry that's structured around the three utterances of the phrase, I am the Lord. Verse 2, you see it, starts out, I am the Lord. Verse 6, right about the middle, Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And then when you get to the very end at verse 8, the concluding line is, I am the Lord. Three times. It's the fullness of God being expressed. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And ever since I was able to read the Bible for myself, I always thought, man, it is really strange Every, you know, you're reading along and then, boom, there's poetry. Have you ever tried to write poetry? Does it come out the pen just as fluid as... No, you've got to work at that. I, I often have wondered, like, how is it possible that, that all of a sudden, you know, the prophets are going along and then poetry starts coming out of their mouth? It was actually, I, this is instantaneous. I think historically some liberal biblical scholars tended to question the authenticity of some of the poetical aspects of the scriptures because I think they were caught with the same issues. But I don't think we need to wonder anymore thinking about if you've ever opened up your computer and maybe gone to see some of this new generative AI material that's out there. You know you can ask a computer to compose a thousand-word poem in iambic pentameter on birds and oceans and mountains, and it will spit out a thousand-word poem in 15 seconds. How do I know? Because I did it. <laughs> it wasn't the most original thing that you would ever read, but it was still a poem, and in 15 seconds... Think about the God who is infinite. He can generate a poem with 
originality in seconds. That's amazing. And that's what's going on here. Verses 2 to 5, we see the first phrase of this, this song, first verse, and I see in verses 2 to 5 the emphasis upon how that he's communicating to Moses. He says, you know, I am the Lord, the one who makes covenants with sinners. I don't know about you, but I want to I want to make a covenant with somebody who's honest, who's going to keep their word. I don't go out and look to do business with people who are going to like be shysters. This is this is a remarkable expression. I am the Lord who makes covenant with sinners. People are going to stab me in the back. And there's a lyrical element in this underneath the the surface, and the subject of the verbs is the emphasis in which he, you hear, I appeared, I established, I have heard, I have remembered. And that repetition, the subject, I am the Lord, and it's a recounting of the essential history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all sinners, who God made covenants with. And as the Lord, in, as you read this, let's, let's read verses, uh, these verses uh, 2 through 6. It says, 2 through 5, it says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians sold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. And the emphasis is upon his initiation. He is the one who comes towards sinners. He is the one who proposes relationship founded upon pure grace alone. He is the one who hears when, when sinners are overwhelmed and he hears their prayers, and he is the one who makes good on all of his promises. You might remember the story of Abraham when the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a dream saying, Fear not, Abraham, for I am thy great Shield and your great reward. Those are pretty significant statements. But Abraham, like Moses, was in a moment of despair. And that didn't come off quite the same way. And Abraham replied when he heard those words, O oh Lord God, what, in, what will you give me? For I continue childless. Behold, you've not given me any offspring, and the member of my household is going to end up being my heir. I don't know about you. Have you ever had a dream where all your frustrations are unleashed? That's kind of what's happening to Abraham. Abraham had left everything. He had left family. He had sojourned. He had come to the land of promise, and he was told that he would have all of this wealth, and ultimately he'd have children to pass it on to. Moses is in a similar vulnerable place. He had heard the mission. He was told that, that, that Pharaoh would let them go, and 
and God, it, it's not coming together the way he thinks. He's frustrated, and Abraham cries out like Moses. And Moses cried out, you've not delivered the people at all. But God replied to Abraham, even as he was having those painful expressions in his heart, and he said to Abraham, look out at the stars of heaven. Look at the heavens. Can you number all of those stars? If you're able to number them, so then will also your offspring be. Uh, this uh, Friday evening, a man at the men's retreat had a, uh, brought some ma magnificent telescopes, uh, massive lenses on those things. I don't think I could get my arm around one of the lenses of that telescope. And he, he, he was a stargazer who could lead others to see what he could see. And he pointed that telescope right at Saturn for us. And we could see the rings. And then he pointed it over to Jupiter, and then you could see like the, 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 the lines in Jupiter, like the, 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 the atmospheric colors. That was unbelievable. But look at the stars. Who made the stars? The one who promises is the one who makes the stars. And if God created the infinite ray of stars and galaxies and he holds them on a thread on nothing, then he can bring all of his expected ends to completion for you. His plan is going just the way he wants it to. Will you trust him? He is the Lord who makes covenant with sinners, but he is also the Lord who makes covenants for sinners. Verses 6 through 8. Right at the middle there, the breaking point, there's a shift of, in this lyrical song poem. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give you I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Did you hear the I will? The I will. That's the emphasis. You know, there's something to song that is uplifting. When you see pattern and you see repetition, there's something that speaks within your soul. And, and, and good songs will have singable melodies. There's nothing more discouraging to not know where you are in a song, right? And I know we, we introduce songs here and we try our best and we think of songs, we pick songs to learn that are singable. But there needs to be sufficient repetition for it to stick. And that repetition of I will is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will do this 
for you. Even children know this to be so. When they sing the words of the CEF song, my heart was once dark with sin until the Savior came in. His precious blood I know has washed me white as snow. What a glorious testimony to the I will of the Lord. And the subject of that song is the I will, and the book of Hebrews picks this up. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 8, verse 10 to 12, also recognizes the I wills that are in the prophecies of Jeremiah, speaking to the I will of the Lord as he comes. Verse, eight, or verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and sh they shall be my people. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Hallelujah. God makes covenants with sinners, and He keeps covenant for sinners. What a glorious good news we have to share with the world. What a glorious good news we need to remind ourselves with. Christ kept covenant for us by paying our sin debt so that we would not have to pay that sin debt ourselves and our sins will be remembered no more. Let me ask you, are you stressed out? Are you trying to perform in a way to kind of create your own self-salvation? Things are not normal, and that's somewhat, I know that's not okay, but your God will deliver you. He will redeem you. And we need to learn that we don't hold ourselves. It is the Lord who holds us. And He will not let us go. God is able to make you and I suitable covenant partners. He told Moses, everything is going just exactly as I planned, and you just need to trust that I am the Lord. This time, what do we do with this? Well, if your heart is moved to gratitude, you need to express that to the Lord, to say, thank you, Lord. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. Yes, I need to obey your word. I, yes, I need to trust you with the outcomes. Yes, I may need to make some changes to my life. But I am thankful that you have things just the way you want them. There are times when we may need to confess that we have in our own hearts tried to hold on to our lives ourselves. And that's sin. And we need to confess that. But we also need to recognize that we can trust Him to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because He will keep covenant for sinners and He will keep His word. 